My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. We're thrilled you're here, especially if you're new today. Uh, if you're just checking us out, if you're wondering uh, who these people are who meet in a school auditorium, we're thrilled that you're here. Um, and if you've been around for a while, I'm also still thrilled that you're here. Um, really glad. Uh, I actually uh, remember a time uh, someone asked me, this, it was like, this was like an icebreaker question in a group. And I was thinking about, I was trying to be really creative. I think it was I was just out of college and I was wanted to be like the creative funny guy. And so I said, I collect uh, people is the phrase. I did think I said it. And I was thinking about how I like, like to have friends and lots of friends. So I said, I collect people. And it got really awkward because <laughs> like, oh, they think I'm a serial killer. And I just met friends. And I said, no, no, I collect friends. I want all of you to be my friends. And it didn't work. They weren't my friends. Um, but I actually, I kind of accidentally stumbled into collecting something that I, uh, not really aggressively, but I occasionally pick up a bobblehead. This is the shelf uh, in my, in our kind of office bedroom room that I, that I work in. Uh, these are mostly bobbleheads. Things that are important. The one in the end is actually a statue of Jesus with kids, like playing a game that someone gave me because they thought I would want that. And I do actually want it. I love it. <laughs> The picture you can't see because of the flash is a picture of Jesus, also like a really strange picture. Uh, for a while, I just was collecting. People were giving me weird Jesus memorabilia, um, which is strange, but that's really not what I collect. These, these bobbleheads I started collecting on uh, our trips uh, for youth ministry. We take a trip every summer somewhere, and one of the first trips we ever took was to Alexandria, uh, and we stopped at the giant Big Ole, the big, uh, anyone been there, Alexander, the giant Big Ole statue is like a huge Viking. Um, <clears throat> and they sold these bobbleheads and like, you can't not pick that up. And I thought, oh, maybe every time I go on a trip, I'll pick up a bobblehead as just kind of a fun way to remember that trip. And when I see it, it has like a ton of meaning, like just looking at the Big Ole bobblehead brings back this week worth of all these great things, this experience that we had. <clears throat> um, together. And so all of these kind of represent different places we went. I'm actually going to, we're going to talk about that later more, but it's one of the things I, I do really love. It's one of the, how I knew these were important to me is uh, at times at my house, things have gotten maybe like thrown at these or these have gotten knocked over and I get like upset and I'm like, don't mess up my bobblehead. And I'm like, oh, those are important. Maybe too important to me, but we're going to look a little bit at, at why those, what those represent for me in a, in a few minutes. But first, I just want to introduce you to uh, what we're doing right now here at Hope. Um, we love to open the Bible here and look at what God has for us. And we're taking uh, eight, seven, eight weeks here to look at something we're calling Made for God. It's a sermon series we're doing on identity, gender, and sex. It's an opportunity for us to consider the good news. What, what does the gospel, the good news, have to say about our identities, our sexuality, gender, those things? Things that are, are uh, if not the, one of the most talked about uh, things, uh, sometimes the only thing it feels like that can be talked about around us. And so we want to just think through what does God have for us? What does scripture say about it? Uh, and that it's actually good news. This is a topic that in my life has not always been seen as good news. It often has felt like law, meaning just that like, you, you just got to do this, just deal with it. Kind of is the feeling sometimes like this is what God has to so just deal with it. Someday it won't be like that. I think there's really good news in the way God has set this up and, uh, we're excited to, to look at that. So we're look, going through a bunch of different topics. Um, uh, all things that your mom might say like, eh, don't, don't talk to that uh, if you brought these up. But we're excited. Our first week we looked at um, identity and God's lovely 
authority. Uh, today we're looking at God's creation being good. Then the good news amongst broken, sinful people. What does singleness, dating, marriage look like? Lust, masturbation, fornication, same-sex attraction, and gender dysphoria. We just want to look into these. What, what, what do we see around us? And also, what does Scripture have to say to it? And really, honestly, what, well, how can we love our God and love people well? in the midst of this. It's so, so important to us here at Hope. And so there is really good news in the midst of all these things. And what does that look like? Um, we'll keep mentioning, just so you know, there is a spot on our website. We're putting resources, a series. I think we've gathered the most resources and opportunities. Um, I'm going to have the opportunity just to share a little bit each week to get us thinking and considering and seeing and opening scripture. There's lots of conversation in this and probably forever uh, in your life. You get to have conversations about what does this look like? How does this play out? Um, how, how do I... Uh, look to God's truth, but also bring lots of grace to those around me. And so uh, we have resources at hopecc.com made for, for God. Uh, and there's uh, a lot, a list of books and things you can listen to and see. There's a small group study. We're working on a parenting discussion guide just to help you maybe think through some things as a parent. Uh, there's also opportunities for further discussion. Our, uh, on that site, our downtown location has some Zoom calls. We're, um, if you're interested in gathering just to talk to people more about this, we encourage you to do that in your small groups. A lot of our small groups are actually going through this study and talking about it. It's a good, safe, and a encouraging place to talk about it. But we're also hoping here in October to have an opportunity just to gather some people that keep sharing and, and wrestling through this together. Um, so let me pray for us as we start here our, uh, our second week in this series. Lord, uh, you're good, really good to us. And uh, I pray that in this, your uh, word... Uh, would be a light, uh, would be good news, would, would even be a balm to heal us. Um, we thank you that we get to gather, we get to hear your word. I pray you'd use these words, uh, not as my words, but yours, and that you would encourage us and challenge us and um, leave us leaving here reminded of the good news we have in your gospel. Amen. All right, just a quick, we're going to, the these sermons all kind of, um, Pastor Steve, who was our senior pastor, uh, last week was preaching at our downtown location. Uh, we have three locations, and he was preaching there. And, and he said this, kind of see this as one big s- sermon, but we're doing it each week for a few weeks. A- even an opportunity to kind of digest and think, but also because there's a lot of things to think about. And so as we continue, uh, instead of ha- having you do like a seven hours of sermon, which would be miserable, uh, we're just going to do the next segment. So this is Continuing to build on what we talked about. So that's, that might be helpful to think because there's stuff like today for sure you're going to go, oh, but what about this or this? Hopefully maybe we'll get to, we'll get to that. But we want to build a foundation so we know once we get to certain things we have, have already talked about, like, but we believe this, so we understand this. So when we get there, it changes how we talk about it. And so we started yesterday uh, not necessarily talking about identity, gender, sexuality as specifically, but just saying where do we get our truth what tells us what is true and what is not true? We looked at just kind of all the different opportunities we have in our life through social media, scripture, through news, just in our own brains, uh, through friends, all these different things that influence us. And looked at what, how important it was that there was some structure. Like we thought of even like think of a game or a football game. There's, there's some rules and structure and boundaries that actually make the game really great and make it possible to play the game and the freedom to enjoy the game. Uh, But without those, there really wouldn't be a game or traffic. We talked about traffic. There being some parameters around that 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 keeps it, makes it work. And so what does that look like in our world? Uh, We also looked at 
the importance of knowing that there is a God that we can trust. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry wrote a book, Holier Than Thou, uh, I think this was called, and, uh, but she says this, which has really been helpful. This is something I shared uh, maybe months ago even, and I still, it's one of those ones that pops in my head probably weekly when I'm thinking about, oh, is this an issue that I just don't trust what God has and what his word says? She says, if God is holy, then he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against me. If he can't sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? I think it's really, really helpful. If I believe who God is and he is holy, he's sinless, then he's the most trustworthy thing. I, I can believe his word. And if anything, he's the one I can believe and trust and lean into. Uh, and so as we start our time here, uh, I just want to remind us last week we ended here on Psalm 86, just a psalm that, that uh, says, I think, the words that I want to be uh, on my lips and in my heart as I look at anything, but especially these next weeks as we look at some just hard things to think about and talk about. Um, and so I'm going to just pray these words over us. Uh, it's something I've been doing more often. It's just reading scripture and just praying those words. I don't have words sometimes to pray. And I think, oh, there, there already are words uh, many times in a psalm. So let me just pray this again. We're going to pray. It's a double prayer to start the sermon. So it's going to be extra good. Let's pray this together. Lord, we ask you <clears throat> that you teach me your way, Lord, that I might rely on your faithfulness. Give me, give us an undivided heart that we may fear your name. We praise you, Lord, our God, with all of our heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me and you have delivered me. You've delivered us all from the depths, from the realm of the dead. I pray that would be uh, at the beginning of our thought, the great good news that you've rescued us from death and we could trust you. We pray this in your good name. Amen. All right. Uh, today we're looking, we want to just start at kind of the beginning and see what, what was the goodness? How, when God, our good creator, created these good things, how did he first make it? What, did, what was kind of the idea? What was the way he made it to look and, and uh, to function? But also like, we're going to get, why would he create it in the way he did? Um, and I think when you think of words like sex, um, I think of, my first thoughts are the things I learned growing up, how I learned about sex. Uh, maybe it was a talk with a parent that maybe used figurines to explain things. I didn't have that. I think of uh, like culture and maybe youth group that maybe you experienced. Um, I remember a friend saying he went to a conference and, and when they left, everybody got shirts that, that said virginity rocks. <laughs> and, and then like no one wore them. Like there was piles of them in the <laughs> dumpster outside. <laughs> Uh, he also he has this great story of wearing a shirt that says, uh, I'm not doing it, that he got at a youth rally. You know, like it, doing it. And he, he wore it to, sh to school proudly, and he said the, the cutest girl in school came up to him. It was like the first person he saw, and she was like, yeah, for sure, you're not doing it. Uh, just like devastated. <laughs> He's like, oh, no. There's kind of that culture. There's, I, I don't know if you ever experienced this. I know some have experienced these stories of like a rose being passed around a room, and at the end, it's kind of destroyed and someone saying, well, that's why you don't want to engage in this because no one wants that messed up, broken rose. Maybe, um, maybe you just learned it from a pile of magazines. There's a little bit more of my story. Uh, we didn't really talk about this. I didn't have this experience in a youth group really. And, um, but I learned it from a pile of magazines that I found in my, in my house under my parents' 
bed. And that really was my education on what sexuality looked like, what even maybe kind of marriage or what relationships were supposed to look like. Um, I don't think that's a thing anymore. Now you just look on your phone, but I think pornography was part of the education for me and for many. And so today we just want to start our conversations. We, if we believe God's word is true and we can trust him, then what does he have to say about how this was first made? And then we're going to actually look next week. It's kind of like two parts together here these next two weeks at what does it look like when it, when it doesn't work that way? Because that's really what we experience a lot, right? There might be some moments say you go, like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, Drew, but that, that doesn't happen that way, right? I don't feel that, or I've never seen that or experienced that. And so we'll look at that. So when, however we first came to this information or, or the, the view we got of it, let's just stop and look and see what, how God made this good thing, this really good thing, uh, first. And so we're looking in Genesis here. If you have a Bible and you want to crack it open, we're looking at creation. And when God first made all things, he's a good creator who made good things. In fact, we don't just uh, interpret that from scripture. We hear it over and over again that he makes uh, the sky and the oceans and the earth and it's good. And he makes animals and it's good. He makes birds, right? Good. And land creatures and air creatures, sea creatures are good. He makes all these things and they're good. And he finally makes people. It's very good. And then he rests on the seventh day. If you know this story, it's, it's pretty incredible. And we get in the books, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in chapters one and two, we get uh, kind of the same story, kind of different views of it. Or even a friend of mine says sometimes like, it's like almost we zoom out and, and hear the story again, or from a different camera angle. Um, and so we're seeing in Genesis one and two, this great story of a good creator, a good God creating things and they're good and him being with those things, building his world. And his final piece is him creating his people. And so in Genesis 1, we get to this moment where he creates his people. It says, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Maybe you've heard this passage is a pretty well-known passage. So God creates mankind, creates people. And it says something unique here. It's different. In his own image. He creates them as pictures kind of himself. In the image of God, he created them. I love this. I like this passage because there's this like repeating part that helps me actually understand maybe what's important and what's what we really want to see in this. And it says over and over, he creates them in his image. In the image of God, he creates them. We hear in a moment, we'll get to this male and female he created them. But first he says he created them. So they're image bearers. We talk about this a lot in hope. This is a really important part of us, even in reading any of any of scripture. Understanding that we are created as image bearers or something really special about us. People who look in the way we do things, in the way we create things, in the way we're relational, in the way we're rational, in the way we think, in the way we connect or feel even. Those are all things that are, are pictures or even like parts of kind of how God is. And so we get to be these great pictures. In fact, um, sometimes, not sometimes, in, in, a, in pagan culture, as in like just non-Christian, ancient culture, uh, this same language even that we see in Genesis is described when they're describing how they build their temples, which I think is really kind of cool how uh, God uses the same imagery uh, to, to share. So how people would build temples, they build different parts of the temple. 
And oftentimes the last thing they would build, maybe on the sixth day at the end, is they would build this huge statue or golden statue of the God that the, the temple is going to worship. And that statue then would be this image bearer, right? They'd go, people would come and give money or sacrifice to that statue because that statue like represented for them a God that was far off somewhere. And God says, well, I'm going to build a temple, but it's going to be this garden. It's going to be this beautiful world. And in the world, there's going to be something that points people to me, but it's not going to be a statue, a stone, cold, lifeless thing. It's actually going to be people. They're going, to, they're going to like act out and live out. I'm actually going to breathe my life into them and they're going to be these great image bearers um, of me. This is where bobbleheads come in. I know you're all thinking it. You're like, all right, it's the bobblehead time. <laughs> Think about a bobblehead. These represent really important things to me, right? These, are, these represent even people that I admire. Um, someone gifted me a Martin Luther bobblehead, which I can't believe they made, but I think it's kind of cool. These represent moments for me. This... This, um, this is a Pistons basketball player. It's actually not a bobblehead. It's like a little statue. We stole this out of a bedroom we stayed at in Michigan. Like that means a lot. One of our youth leaders on the trip, we stayed with his parents and we're like, we need a bobblehead from Michigan to remember this trip. And we couldn't find one. And he's like, why don't you just take something out of my parents' house? <laughs> and so we took this Michigan, I don't even know who this is, this Michigan, ba this Pistons basketball player. Like there's so much story even in the, the night we decided to do that and the people, it represents this uh, really, uh, there's all these emotions connected to it and stories. It represents these amazing things. But all it is is a plastic or wooden or whatever these are made out of, little statue that sits on my counter, right? But they mean so much to me, enough that it would make me upset if they broke. So the shelf isn't holding necessarily like Michigan, right? Or New Orleans. It's just a reminder. It's a picture of something greater, these great adventures that I got to go on. And this is where God makes his people. And he says, you get to re remind people, point people, be a signpost to people of this incredible God and, and, and ultimately his relationship with his people and this great story of his people. This happened to me also recently. I know I keep referencing the same concert I went to. It was so good. Uh, we were at a, a Maverick City concert with Kirk Franklin a few months ago. And one of the things that happened there uh, was that we were all in the, at the Excel Center in St. Paul and there's thousands of people all in the room and we're all singing. Uh, it's just this great, great moment. We're worshiping together. And at one point, uh, Kirk Franklin is singing and he stops and he's just, he said, this is so cool. Look at the people in this room. We have people of all ages. They had people cheer if they were like 20 years old, all the way up to they're like 90 years old. And we were like down the road from a 90 year old who was there to the, how cool is that? And then there's people from all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities. It's just such a great mix, so diverse and incredible. He says, look around, how incredible is this? He said, this is a little bit of what heaven's going to look like. You feel we're worshiping together. We're from all different places. We've come from all different places. We actually sat next to um, a bunch of students that were from Africa. Uh, and I thought, well, how wild is this? We've come from literally around the world and we're here together. He said, and he said, just take this in. This is a picture of what one day will be. I thought, oh, and it was so emotional. I thought, holy cow, how cool is this? This is like an image. And it, and it was powerful, not just because I was singing with people, but it was powerful because it gave me a picture of this incredible truth, this reality that will be one day. It, it really kind of is right now in God's people in his church. So this is how God starts this. He says, I'm going to create all these things and I'm going to make people and they're going to bear my image. 
I stopped here for a little bit because it's really important we understand this as we think now about how does God then, so then he's about to create some people and ask them to do some things. And I think the way he does that helps really shape like, because they're image bearers. It's going to give a little different picture and different weight, I think, to the way this was all created originally. So the next thing that happens, he creates mankind in his own image. In the image of, man, of God, he creates them. And then he, it clarifies how he creates them. He says, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Some translations say multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it or care for it. Scripture here makes a point to say, male and female, it uses two different words here. It doesn't, I think, necessarily clarify this to say uh, it made two things that were masculine or feminine. It actually doesn't give us a lot of clarity on what that, that means. That's a big question, right? That will hopefully get into later in our series here. It just says I made two kinds of people that together, they fit together in a way, they complement each other in a way that bears the image of God. Just incre- it's incredible that he made us, that we get to do that, even. that in our lives, we get to bear his image. And then there's something about us coming together, being different, but together, h- how we are shows people how, what God is like. And then he says to them, he, it says he blesses them. We could, we could interpret this. It looks like maybe he marries them or kind of unites them. He it's not, he doesn't just say like, okay, go hang out. He blesses them. This is kind of, the, this is the first real marriage. He brings a man and a woman together, blesses them, unites them. And then he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Well, how, how practically do people multiply? How do they grow, right? It's just procreation. So there's a sense here, God says, I made a man and a woman. And when you put man and woman together, uh, they, they bear my image, and practically, I made it so that biologically, if those people have sex, that there's a, a chance that they will have a baby, right? So actually, like, life comes forth. These two people come together, and they can actually make a life, which, again, another mind-blowing thing to have happen, right? That, that two people can come together and create another person. They can actually multiply and grow. But I think this growth also maybe means more than that, more just... What does it look like for you to be two people who come together and in bearing my image, you're people who multiply things, you grow things, things get to be more, get to be prosperous because our God is one who's generous, who makes things grow. In fact, right before this in the creation account, we see there is nothingness, right, except God. And then he makes all these things. He creates all these things. And one of the ways we bear his image, I think, is in people who create, who grow things who multiply things. It's, this is incredible. We all get to be that image. Think about that in so many contexts. When I first was reading this ever in my life, and I was thinking, oh, God's a creator. We bear his image. I thought as a person who at that time was in art school, I thought, oh, he made artists. We're the best. <laughs> we create things. And I was like, yeah, all my artwork is definitely looks a lot like what God would probably do. Uh, and then I started hanging out with my friends who are engineers. And I learned about how they were they were like staying up all night designing bridges that would never get made because it was just fun to design bridges. And they were playing like bridge simulator designer games. And I was like, what? Why would you do that? And then I was talking to friends who were, were going to be teachers. And they were talking about all these ways they were creating environments for people to, to, for kids to learn. And I thought, oh, you're really creative in like a different way. Um, 
I'm just like painting and you're creating these things. And I was realizing all of us have these ways we take things that are chaotic or kind of nothing and we bring order to them and, and we create things and we put things together to, in order for like good things to happen, things to grow. So we get to bear this image, right? Uh, and create things and multiply things and also just care for things. And so he, he uses this imagery or, or us to bear this image of him and his creation. That was a good point to remember, a good spot to remember. This is before the fall, right? This is before things get bad, broken, sin enters into the world. And so this is how things are created and how they're good. This is, this is the good way, the right way in, in the way that God made things to do, to care for things and multiply things and grow things. And so God creates a man and a woman created by God, brought together by God, blessed by him in union and gives them this calling to multiply and to grow. So we actually see this story then take place in Genesis 2. It's another opportunity to hear kind of some other details. And we get actually a, a really cool picture here of what this looks like as we continue to look at this first beginning, the good thing that God made. This is Genesis 2, starts in 20. But for Adam, there's no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. So in this story here, the God creates all these things. Then he creates Adam. And then he actually brings before Adam um, all of the animals that, that he's created. It says, Adam, are any of these a suitable helper? This is where we're at now. Um, so, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep because none of them were a suitable helper. And while he was asleep, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of them and he brought her to them to the man. And the man says, or sings, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There's a whole lot that happens here. Take a minute to walk through this together. Um, this is like, this is the really good news that I've been excited to share, excited to remember in my own life. And not just to like, I guess we have to deal with this is the way God made things. But actually, this is really good that God made things in this way. So first, we're going to start with this. This is one I was excited this week to spend some time on. It says, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so there's this phrase here, suitable helper, uh, that's used. And so what happens is uh, God shows them all these animals. And he's hoping that one of them will be a suitable helper, right? And I've said this a few times. Yeah, yeah. But what is that? mean? Because that phrase sounds, can sound like, right? Uh, hey, you need like a servant or you need someone who will help you fulfill your mission or like you're in charge and you need to hire someone else because you can't get everything done. Feels maybe a little bit like a manager who's like, hey, Adam, you should put some get some applications and we'll interview them and we'll see who could be your assistant. It's, it's, it's really not. It's really important we understand this phrase. This is a phrase that I think has been uh, used to hurt people uh, and used even to really uh, hurt women in our in our church, in all churches, but in 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 the world, just in the idea of like you can like be my assistant and help me fulfill my mission. These words actually mean a lot more. There's, this is one of those moments in scripture where uh, being able to like double click on a word and hear like some of the richer meaning of it is helpful. This word suitable helper can also mean in other translations it's suitable companion, corresponding helper a helper that is fit for him, 
a right and proper partner or a helpful counterpart. Right, those, wow, that's kind of a fun mix. Still feels a little bit at times like he's looking for an administrative assistant to help organize his caring of the earth. I, I, I really don't, and I don't even like those. I, I really was excited to see, like, I know it's more than this. In fact, when we first start this word helper, we'll start there, actually is the same word that's used in scripture to describe who God is. So later, not long in scripture, we hear that God is called a helper. So it's actually, we're using a word that, that is used for God. I mean, talking about bearing an image of God. So that word means a lot more than you get to be an assistant. It actually means that word's also used for the word strength, for the word reinforcement. Isn't that a good word? That's different than assistant, right? That's like uh, Adam can't do this on his own. He needs some reinforcements. That, that sounds a lot more like a wife than an assistant. I, can't, I don't know what I'm doing. I need some help. I need some reinforcements. It's a word that's used to describe God. It's this word that means strength, reinforcements. And the word before it, suitable, is actually a word that can mean opposite likeness, or like this, opposite same. Isn't that cool? We don't ever say that because that sounds strange. But it means an opposite, but that's like of the same. So we're looking for an opposite same reinforcement, an opposite same strength. So it, it, that's a different meaning, right, for a partner here, for, for uh, Adam. For ultimately his wife is going to be someone who is the same as him, but like the opposite of him. And so this suitable, opposite, same helper is fine. I just want us to get like the kind of richness of what is looking. So God's saying, hey, Adam, you're not like completely, you need this compliment to you that's going to bring strength, reinforcement, but that isn't just like it's different than you are. This, this will be important as we talk in a few weeks and continue to talk about some other things um, in, in thinking about how important it is to see as a man and a woman are, are same, but also op- opposite compliments to one another. Okay, we're going to keep going here. So he parades all these animals in front of Adam, and Adam sees them, and he says, that one's not an opposite the same. That one's not an opposite the same. <laughs> Doesn't work. I love this picture. These are my favorite uh, moments in premarital. Kelly and I will sit with couples, and we get to say, like, what do you think that looked like? Just because it's amazing to picture him being like, eh, giraffe. I don't like the long neck. And the hippo's kind of big. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> Like, what a, what a cool thing that he gets to see all these things and go, like, those don't work. And God says, there is going to be one that will work. And so how does God do this? He then says, Adam, I need you to go interview a lot of people and then just let me know when you've hired your assistant, right? It's like, like much of our story and the Bible, God does stuff. And so God actually puts him to sleep. We have no doubt. Did Adam do anything here? He was sleeping. And God caused him to fall into his sleep. And while he was sleeping, God does this incredible thing. He performs this real miracle. He takes him, takes one of his ribs, which is interesting, right? Closes it up, and he from that makes a woman. From that rib, he's taken out of the man, and then he brings that woman to Adam. So you can picture this. Adam falls asleep, and when he wakes up, he's, he's down a rib. I don't even know if he'd notice that or how that works. <laughs> but he's then, God is ushering to him a woman. Finally, right? He just looked at a bunch of creatures that were not a compliment to him, not the suitable helper, and now he sees the one who's a suitable helper. Just how important is it to see who is involved in this, right? It's Adam and the woman who we, we get to know as Eve, 
and God, and it says God puts him to sleep. God makes a woman, God brings the woman to him. And we know from the other part of Genesis, God right, blesses them, brings them together. Um, but first we get Adam's great reaction here. As Adam has done nothing, this woman has done nothing. God has done everything, making life, creating a relationship, creating companions, bringing them together. And I think Adam's response is incredible. I love this. He just like writes a poem. He sings a song. He says, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she is taken out of man. There's this like even emotional connection, this, this love that comes right away as he sees the right, the right compliment him. Together we're going to get to bear God's image. Together we are one. I love this. There's a commentator who says, he takes the rib because it's near to his heart and then she will be dear to him in his heart. I love that idea. That picture, this, is a, this response shouldn't be that foreign to us, right? Some of you have maybe had this experience in your life where you've gazed upon someone maybe for the first time or maybe it took a few times hanging out and then all of a sudden you had the moment where you went, oh, you're the one. Maybe you've said that a few times and then you married one of those people. But uh, this happens all the time culturally. Like we, we see this in our culture through songs. I just Googled top love songs of all time and you hear words like, there's magic in love and at last I found you. I will never leave you. We're one and we'll be one forever. Something in the way you move, something about you. This is what happens when we fall in love or I'm yours as we hear Stevie Wonder. I also Googled worst love song of all time and it's Michael Bolton's. I said, I love you, but I lied. <laughs> That's how Michael got up there. We don't hear that, right? We didn't hear Adam say, I love you, JK. He says, I'm yours. We're one. We're like the one person together, right? So, I mean, if you want, I could make some PDFs of this. You could write your significant other this Valentine's a sweet card to my sweet opposite same companion helper. He finds her. She's there with him. Listen to these words. We're the same thing. We're one flesh. We're the same. We're the opposite same. Not very romantic words. This is incredible. And then, and then listen to what um, it explains here. This is the first marriage where they come together and it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is, this is really important. This is one, uh, this last verse is so important. These last two verses are, there's so much in these. Uh, and this is the one time we see this because right after this verse is when we see someone come and, and tell some lies. Say, I think God loves you, but he lied. The uh, little Michael Bolton. Maybe Michael Bolton got it from Genesis 3. Um, but, he, but first, look at what happens here. It says that they've come together. They made like the first family. They become one flesh. There's something that, about it that they unify each other. I think this uh, is a picture of physically they've unified each other through um, it, it says here they were naked, and so we can get some implications here. This probably is indicating sex, of like one way to have oneness, but there's so many ways to have oneness and unity, right? And so God makes a man and a woman and says, I want them to come together. I want there to be a covenant, a connection, a unifying thing. We call it a wedding, a marriage. And then in that, there can be this nakedness, this unifying, this connecting. And in that, you can be completely naked, and have no shame. 
this is, I would say this is one of the foundational motivations for all of us every day. Could I be completely vulnerable, completely naked? Maybe not actually naked. Hopefully that's not what your goal is, but just vulnerable, completely open and not feel shame. Are there people I can be with or around that I'm completely myself or completely sharing who I am and there's not shame put on it? Again, remember this is the, and things are good before the fall comes. So a few things I think about being naked here is really important. I think they're actually naked, which might refer to the sex. They're multiplying the intimacy, the physical intimacy of that. They're uncovered. This word could also mean uncovered or revealed. Could I be completely revealed or uncovered? Maybe spiritually or emotionally. They were bearing themselves. And they felt no shame. They were not ashamed. They weren't feeling hurt or vulnerable. They weren't thinking, what if, or do they really love me, or is this going to last? This was the first marriage, a man and a woman coming together, and they were completely vulnerable, and they were completely without shame. Could you imagine? We can't even imagine a life where shame doesn't control or at least weigh on our decisions and our days, the amount that hurts us. We're talking about this relationship that was created by God, brought together with his breath of life in them. And now two people get the opportunity to bear his image. A male and a female encouraged to move towards each other, to multiply, to be naked and feel no shame, to bring life into the world. What an image, right? You get to see those two come together and bring life into this world. This sounds incredible. To ultimately, intimately be connected to a person, exclusively connected to a person, who can compliment you in all ways of life. And remember, this isn't just um, God making a relationship to say, hey, would that be great? I just want to make this for you guys. I love you. And isn't this really nice that you have this? But ultimately, this relationship bears the image. And how does it bear the image? We actually get the uh, words to describe this in Ephesians 5. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. There's one fleshness talked about there. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we're all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Genesis quoted that we just read. So he explains this, right? You're going to love your wife in this way because you're one. You've been united. And he says, remember in Genesis way back, this is how God made it originally. And then he says, this is a profound mystery of talking about Christ and the church. We just went through Ephesians recently here at Hope. And so we had an opportunity to look at this passage and be reminded of this. But just a helpful reminder here as we look, this image that's being bared, this, this picture, this signpost, right? That's being pictured when we see a husband and a wife, these two different opposite but same, these two different things coming together, unifying together and creating life this points us to something even greater. It points us to a God and his people. Not the same, but united. A God pursuing his people, uniting with his people in death and resurrection. Wed together so that when Christ died and rose, we too die and rise. Holy giving ourselves to each other. Exclusively committed to each other. Intimately connected. We can be completely naked and without shame. We can be vulnerable. There's one we can actually 
completely be ourselves. And God will bring us in with, with his grace and his mercy. Committed for eternity to be together. This, I think, is why Jesus in Matthew 22, he talks about what heaven will be like. And in that, he talks about how we won't need to have marriages in heaven. I remember reading that and thinking like, well, that's not cool. <laughs> Let's see, why would we not want to have marriages? Because marriage is just a picture. This relationship is a picture of this greater thing. And we're going to have that greater thing perfectly one day. And so we won't need that picture anymore because we're actually going to have that thing. There won't be marriage because the greater reality will be true. So this, this goodness, that God creates this good relationship that bears this great image, and not even necessarily just in a marriage relationship, but just in, a, in God's family's relationship, in, in men and women together, working together and loving God and loving people together, bears an image of God well. Um, we don't see this. So as we start thinking about next week and what does it look like when this doesn't work, because we're going to see the fall happens. We turn from God. Don't, don't necessarily become people who together multiply and grow and create and bring life, but actually become inward focused, not thinking about God's glory, but our own. And so these things don't work the way God intended them to work. And so lots of hurts happens. And there's something that is missing. And there's something that we even might get like hints of and not know what to do with. There's an article written in the New York Times um, I recently uh, learned about through a, um, a talk from Tim Keller was sharing this. I think it really helps understand a little bit um, or helps us see that there's a desire for this goodness, but we live in a broken time and world. And so we don't see this goodness. So this is an article from New York Times, uh, a story, just so we can hear a story of someone who isn't necessarily even a Christian, but a story I think that Courtney Sender writes, it's called, He Asked Permission to Touch but not to ghost. And she kind of gets at this, this missing piece so this nakedness with no shame or vulnerability with shame, kind of how, how that plays out. And I think she's feeling a sense of there's something more. So I want to, as we kind of wrap up our time here, I want to read this just to, to be reminded uh, of this good news that we have and that we do actually still live in brokenness in this. Um, I think she really captures this. So she's writing an article about, um, how she had an encounter. She had met someone um, on an app and um, he came over and they hung out and um, they, um, they engaged in sex. And when they did, she was sharing how she's older than him, how it was kind of peculiar at, the, at first because he asked for consent for everything. So he asked for consent for like every step of it, from like every article of clothing. Is it okay? Is this okay if I do this? Is this okay? And at first that felt kind of awkward and weird. Um, and then she said, as that continued, she felt really cared for, as if she had kind of a different experience than she had had before. And then um, she uh, shares a little bit about her own like feelings and how, how sex has worked for her. So one of the first quotes here says, sex makes me feel unsafe, not because of the act itself, but because my partners so often disappear afterward, whether I waited hours or months before the first time. So it's after sex when I truly... Uh, it's, it's after sex when I feel truly vulnerable. And interesting that language you're using, I think, is very interesting. The sex can make her feel unsafe, not necessarily because of the act, but because of the relationship or lack of relationship that she feels. And so she shares then this time felt different because he continued to ask 
if it was okay that he was there and what he was doing. And so she says, because he asked for my consent over and over, so sex felt like a sacred act, and then he disappeared. So what happens is she uh, calls him, and they actually hang on again. And then after that, she starts calling him, and he ghosts her. Ghost meaning he doesn't respond at all. Ghost just disappears. And she tries over and over again to contact him because she had this connection with him, and he doesn't respond. And so then uh, she thought, he asked for my consent over and over. We had this connection and then he left and, and she makes this phrase, so sex felt like a sacred act and then he disappeared. Isn't that interesting even though she used the word sacred act? There's something there more than just a physical act. And she finishes by saying, because I don't feel many of us would say yes to the question, is it okay if I act like a, I care about you and then disappear? Um, one of her roommates says, well, this is just how it works. I mean." guys come and they, you know, they get what they want and they leave. And she says, what if sex was different? What if it wasn't uh, an act where he came and kind of, I feel used and then left? Is it okay that I say I care about you and then disappear? As if it feels much like our First, we just read in Genesis, I felt very vulnerable. I felt naked with you and there was no shame except in the brokenness and in the fall we see I was naked with you and I feel shame. This is where the brokenness comes. I think she feels, she, she uses the word sacred. I love that there's something more to this and I sort of got a little taste of that and I don't know what that is. Tim Keller says, uh, he describes sex like this. Sex as prescribed in the Bible is a way of saying, I see all of your imperfections and I'm still completely, exclusively, and permanently committed to you. You are naked to me in all ways and I still accept you forever. So the picture of what sex is, is a, is a picture of this greater, incredible relationship that's even better than anything else we have of a God who says this to us. I see all your imperfections and I'm still completely, exclusively, and permanently committed to you. You're naked to me and I still accept you forever. How different would that be? If I, if I every day, all the moments that I hear about sex or something is even sexualized, and I went like, oh yeah, that reminds me that there's a God who wants me forever and loves me. And so we start our, uh, our time here, uh, or start our series these first few weeks just being reminded of this foundational understanding that this sex and uh, our identities and these relationships are pictures of relationship, which is incredible. Our gender can point us to God and his people. The differences becoming one, our sexuality can point us to a faithful God uniting to his people exclusively and wholly. Sex within this exclusive covenant relationship can bear this image of two people who are committed to each other in a union just like Jesus and his people. These, these are images that share an incredible relationship we all desire. Um, aren't just acts or aren't just our identities, but they're this incredible relationship that we, that we want. It seems to be about relationships and not so much our identity, our identity that comes from Christ. 
as we unite with him. Um, I'm uh, encouraged in our next weeks as we get an opportunity just to share how this has been broken and how there has been hurt, but hopefully continue to remember this was intended to show and remind us of this great God who's done great things and loves us. Um, I'm going to invite our worship team up that we're going to worship together. Um, one of the ways we do that on Sundays is we hear the good news and then we respond to the good news. So we do that by singing. Uh, actually, this morning we just had an opportunity. Uh, we we're trying to find the words to a song through our presentation stuff. And I was like, I know the name Jesus is in it. So I typed in Jesus. And then I realized all of our songs have the name Jesus in it, which kind of narrowed down the, uh, didn't narrow down the words. This is why we sing about Jesus. We, we say, God, this is so good. This news is so good. We have to remind ourselves. And so we sing together. Another opportunity we have is to take communion. It's an opportunity Jesus called us to do. He said, hey, when you get together, I want you to take bread and wine. I want you to eat them. I want you to remember uh, my body that was broken and my blood that was shed and do this to remember that, to remember who I am. And so we take communion here out in the hallway to keep food and drink out there. And so uh, there's an opportunity to take communion out in the hallway. There's also an opportunity just to be prayed for and cared for. Uh, there's people who will be standing in the back of the room with yellow lanyards on. Um, they would love to pray for you. So anything that you need prayer for, um, they'd love to stand and do that with you. A couple of things just to consider as we uh, move on here. A couple of things to, to ponder, reflect on. Do you know God wants to know you and never leaves you? It's really important. How does your views of marriage, sex, or gender even just affect your daily life? Can you process the, who can you process these things with? Do you have a place you can ask questions and think about these things? Do you, who needs to know God knows them and wants them? It's an opportunity to start praying for someone uh, today too. Let me pray for us as we continue our time. Lord, thanks for your goodness and your kindness, your mercy that you created us and gave us this incredible calling to bear your image. We, it seems like we do that in all things. And so as, as you've given us life, as you've paid a price to, to uh, unite us with you and have relationship with us, and then it gives us this picture even of one day there being this great wedding and this great family, this great city together. I pray today that we would rest in that and, and see that image and that we would be people who also bear that image as we love each other well and love you really well. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together today. Thanks for the opportunity to worship today. You're good. You're good to us, and we love you. Amen.